As the official healthcare provider of Minnesota United, Alina Health is focused on keeping our loons in top condition. And with expertise in orthopedics, sports medicine, heart care, and more, Alina has the team to keep your family in the game too. The experts at Alina Health take the time to get to know you as a whole person, helping you achieve wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. It's an altogether better kind of healthcare. Learn more at alinahealth.org. everybody welcome back to another episode of sound of the loons presented by alina health and this time we get this time we get to be joined by sean mccauley who has taken over as the interim head coach of minnesota united for those last little home stretch run here and and hopefully and fingers crossed god willing and sporting kansas city a difficult place to play on the road maybe still a postseason opportunity here for this minnesota united team but uh first and foremost sean thanks for joining me i know this is kind of like a Sort of an off week for the club, another international break. You guys enjoyed it. Hopefully a few days of rest and relaxation relaxation before you get back into the swing of things. But thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problems. It's good to be here. Um, but yeah, we've um, had a good transition this morning and a couple more. And then we'll get the internationals back next week. And then we'll, we'll get the game going. Like you said, it's a really big, important game for, for both of us and, and a couple of them teams who are above us. Yeah, and you know, I mean, we'll we'll dive into Sporting Kansas City shortly here, but it like doesn't matter like what position either of you guys are in. It feels like whenever you face off against Sporting Kansas City, you know it's going to be all to play for. Whether you guys are both below the line, above the line, you know, sitting in home field advantage, it doesn't even matter. Like it just feels like it's always a good game, especially when you go to Sporting Kansas City. And I hear the supporter section from Minnesota United is sold out. Like every ticket for the traveling fans is is taken, so it should be a good one. Yeah, we'll try and give them something to cheer about for sure. Because you know, in the past that we've we've not done very well uh, in the regular season there, so it's it's important that we, you know, give a good account of ourselves, and then couple with the fact that how big it is for both of us, and even then we probably do have to rely on other people. But you know, I think it'll be two teams that go straight for it, and you know, try and get the win, and then see where it takes them. So I want to kind of dive uh, backwards here into your career and kind of reestablish for people. I know we've had you on the podcast before, but just reestablish for everyone that is watching or listening, sort of who is Sean McCauley? How did he get his start in soccer? If we can go back that far and where did your love from the game come from? I want to go all the way back um, and where you came from and how you started in this beautiful game we call soccer or football where you came yeah. from. Yeah. So um, I would, I would say right, right. Very, 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 very from the start would have been from my dad. It was a, you know, passionate, supporter of of football soccer um and he had me kicking a ball from you know when when I could walk so it was it was almost like I had a ball with me everywhere I went and then obviously then as you start to transition from toddling about with the football into like some sort of team environment I remember joining the team uh when I was like seven eight years old and then as you start get older you start training professional clubs and then assigned for for Manchester United when I was 14. And stayed don't there just talk. like don't just gloss over that because what is what does that mean? What is that like? Even you know we all everybody in the United States knows what Manchester United is. Everybody everywhere knows what, like what was that like as a fourteen year old to sign with a club of that caliber? Um, yeah, it's huge because at, at the time I was training with both Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United, and I'd been to Southampton, I'd been to a couple of other clubs and teams with like really good youth programs, but. Once they came knocking at the door, it was very difficult to turn down. And you got to remember that I'm back in the day where there was no mobile phones, no internet, no emails. no. So it was, you got a letter. And then, you know, sometimes there was a, a, a phone call from, when I signed my professional contract, it was a phone call from Sir Alex Ferguson. And, and they phoned the house phone. And, you know, my mum, I think at the time, picked it up and she's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, and you you get, you know, in, 
embedded into a club that gives you really good footballing values and, and a good start in in what what went on to be a, a professional career. Um, so I went there when I was 14 and, and then I signed as an apprentice, then I signed as a professional and I stayed till I was 20 and then I moved into Scotland. Scotland gave me a great, great grounding because at that time, all my family's from Scotland, uh, my dad's side, and I'd played for the Scottish youth teams and it, and it got me through into the the national team at under 21 and, and it sort of gave me a good insight into professional football because at that time, Scotland had some really good good players in the league because they had a lot of TV money. Uh, so Rangers and, and Celtic was obviously a great experience playing there. And then once I left Scotland, I went into the UK and, and played in the lower divisions. And that was my chance then uh, to think about my second career. Because having started at Man United, I had four years there. Part of the, the upbringing at Man United is you had to do a coaching qualification while you were, while you were playing. Can I ask you, like, how how important do you think that is, and do you think that should be something that players do now, or that it's mandatory? Yeah, it it's mand it's mandatory in the UK for anybody at sixteen to eighteen has to do some education. And at Man United, they were encouraging us to take our what is now would be the B license uh, in coaching. Um, so I passed that, and then to take the A license straight after that, you had to do it within five years. So when I'd finished my sort of short spell in Scotland, I had three years up there. I knew I had to take my then what was fully fully qualified A license, um, otherwise my B license would have run out. So I so I took that while I was playing, and then I thought to myself, well, I started at my United, I played some international football, you know, up to under twenty one. I'd played in the Scottish Premier League, you know, in, in some big games, you know, Celtic Rangers, semi-finals. And now I'm finding myself in the lower divisions. I think I'm going to need a second career. So I chose to get fully qualified in coaching. Um, once I'd done that, there was no, nothing else for me to do. So I, I went and got a sports science degree while I was still playing. Um, and I played for the next, I would say, 10 years in the lower divisions, but I got myself qualified as a coach and uh, with a sports science degree. And then I also did a postgraduate in teaching because I thought that would give me an advantage over the, you know, the other players that are coming out with probably better careers than me. If we were to go for a coaching job, I needed to probably be more qualified. So I did a lot of coaching work for academies while I was still playing. So that seemed a natural progression to go into coaching. Now, did you... Were, you know, were you kind of a coach on the field? Did you have that knack for it? I mean, there's some players, and you can probably see it now as a coach, you see players on the pitch at every level, where you sort of see certain players that have these instinctive qualities or, you know, the way they read the game or maybe the way they communicate that you're like, oh, yeah, he's going to be a coach or she's going to be a coach when she's done playing. Like, did did you feel that while you were – before you even – it was mandatory that you took the coaching? I felt as though well I had a, a good – uh, ability to influence others and I probably needed it because I wasn't that very good myself so I liked everybody else to do really well around me because that would make me look a little bit better so I had a good ability to influence others um, but in terms of recognising coaching on the field to then actual coaching there is a big difference and I would encourage all the players that want to do the coaching licences also take a team you know and understand that not everything goes to plan you know, because when you are doing the stuff on the field and you're, you know, maybe you're a captain or you're a leader on the field, a lot of that leadership sometimes comes down to how it affects you as well. But when you're just coaching the team, yeah. you've really got to take yourself out of every equation and just focus solely on the people that are playing. That's an interesting concept, I guess. I've never thought about it in that regard because it is pretty obvious oftentimes it feels like on who can sort of read the game or dictate the game or, you know, have a feel for the game and how to deal with others on the pitch. But once you are just the coach and you're not a player anymore, how mm. that changes your perspective and how you might deal with players. When you came over to the United States and you were a part of MLS and whether it was at Portland Timbers or, you know, um, Orlando city, and then at Minnesota United, what did you think of soccer, of football, when you came to the United States? What was your first impression of it? And even now, like where it's come and where this league has come, sort of that growth of the, of this league. When I when I first came across, um, and I'd been coming across, you know, 
every couple of years to do some some education and, and some coaching. Uh, but when I first came across full-time, my first impression was uh, the standard's really good. And I remember uh, saying one of my first training sessions, Jack Jewsby could go and play in the Premier League and Championship, no problem. Because he just knew where to stand. He had unbelievably good technique. He had a great physique and he could get around the pitch. He wasn't the quickest, but he, his brain could function at, at the highest level. And, and I thought to myself, this is not far away from the highest level of football. And then as obviously I've grown with the Lagos over the last sort of 10, 10, 11 years, it's, it's got even better. And now we're looking at talents that even we have on our team, you know, you, you've got like some stuff that Reynoso does. It's, it's off the charts, but it's, it's, it's not just the ones and twos now where you think, oh, you could transition into, to somewhere else. You're looking at more of, you know, just the majority of the squad could probably go and get a career anywhere in the world. When you look at the quality of the depth and sort of the the future of this league as it continues to grow, because, I mean, you talk to some of these guys that have been in the league since it started. I talked to Kobe Jones a few weeks ago, and it was like, you know, he was a part of that first group, and there was mm -hmm. only a handful of teams, and they were all – every team was owned by, like, just four different people. And now you see, you know, multi-hundred million dollar stadiums and investments and training facilities and players and whatnot – what do you think is going to be the biggest key as this, this league continues to grow is there was a bit, I felt like when the DP rule came about that it was all this focus on international talent, but now we've sort of transitioned back, maybe a balance with Academy and homegrowns and, you know, getting back to some players that are within the United States. What do you think is going to be the biggest key as you look at not just Minnesota United, but this league in general to continue to grow and get better? I think not growing it uh, separately from each other. So I do think there's an element that needs to improve in youth development and, you know, our MLS Next Pro. But I also think you can't stop then if you invest there. You can't stop just in investing in the first team. They need the facilities. And and I would say if you look at uh, the Miami players prior to Messi coming in, to then to see them perform when he's in the team, they just got better, more confident, you know, so it's it's not a case of, well, the talent comes in and stops people from developing because the talent comes in and helps develop the ones that are already here. And I would say that, you know, that the, the probably one of the toughest challenges is to get the youth programmes all challenging each other to make sure that these players come through because it's really difficult, you know, with travel and, you know, contact time. But that would be my biggest thing that I think can see change over the next 20, 30 years, I can see where it's gone in Europe, where there's going to be residential academies and and teams will, you know, house players from a younger age and try and get them through there. How is it, you know, when you look at, you just mentioned Messi in Miami in, in particular, and I know a lot of people talked about Phil Neville when he was there and he was having to play a lot of young players all at one time, which maybe led to some of the not great results they had before Messi came in and Busquets and Jordi Alba, and we can go down the list. But do you think it depends too on the the person that they bring in? Because not every superstar or player of not Messi's caliber, but as we've seen other DPs come in and, you know, necessarily make other players better. Like they mm -hmm. may be a $10 million man, but they don't necessarily, it, it has to be the right fit. It has to be the right person, the right personality. Like you, you know, I've always been a true believer and I may be completely off on this, but you can't just spend $10 million on a guy. It's got to be the right guy for the right fit with the group? I mean, does it depend on the player that's actually brought in and a player that's willing to sort of facilitate that and make players around him better? One, yeah, 100%. You've got to get the right person, the right individual in. And I will say that, you know, I'm, I'm almost sure that everybody will make mistakes from now till till when, I don't know, the rules change or anything, but you, you, you can't guarantee, but you do have to do your homework and make sure that that player is the right person if you're going to invest. And especially if you want them to, to invest and then come into your squad and start leading the squad. Because good leaders can also lead people down the wrong way. And I want to ask you about transitioning into this leadership role that you have now with Minnesota United as far as taking over as the interim head coach um, since the change was made with Adrian Heath departing. How did that change your mindset on a daily basis? How does that change your, are you taking, you know, less crosses and services and finishes and training? So, you know, I mean, are you still participating in that? Like, how does that yeah. change? It's not the first time you've done this. So it's not your first rodeo, but how did that change for you? 
Yeah, it, it, it's tough because it's like a, a real short window. So you've got to do something like really quickly. But you also don't want to upset the balance of what's already, you know, in the squad. Um, so the change for me was probably just to have more contact time with the players. Because, um, you know, as an assistant coach, you don't necessarily have as much contact time with with the players, you know, because it's the players want to hear from the, the head coach. So my role, I would say, quickly changed to, you know, making sure that I spoke to to everybody because if we're going to push this thing over the line, it's not going to be 11, it's going to be the full 30 plus this team behind the team. It's going to be everybody that's driving it to get over the line. So I, need, I needed to make sure that I, you know, made sure I got around everybody and tried to join everybody together. What lessons had you taken maybe from your prior times as an interim manager or even a head coach at different levels that you then brought into this or maybe something that you learned like, wow, that really worked or something. You're like, well, I'm never doing that again. You know, anything like that where you took it into this? Um, yeah, I would say a couple of things. And you learn as you go along as well. A couple of things I would say that I know is I can't do it all on my own. So you're going to need really good people that do. you asking them to step up and do, do certain things. Um, and that's why Cameron, Ian, Stuart, and then all the medical staff, all the sports science staff, uh, it's not going to be me on my own saying me and the 11 players. Um, and the other thing is that when there is a change, it's because a change is needed. And my message to everybody was, we'll do a lot of small changes, but hope for a big result. And it's And it's just getting little changes, maybe little positions on the field where I think, you know, you, we could attack from better, you know, where we could probably keep the ball better and, and just small changes. So it's not basically blowing it up. It's basically trying to get them to, to gain a different outcome uh, by doing little things uh, differently. I heard you when you were, yeah, I believe it was the day after the, maybe the morning of, of the news, when you did some media availability and you said, you know, we're going to change some things, tweak some things possibly tactically as you headed into that LA galaxy game. And unfortunately we all didn't get to see it because it wasn't on Apple um, that night, but I clearly we saw the the highlights and we saw the result. What, what did you think was the difference? Was that just a matter of that's the way the game went? Was it something to do with some tactical tweaking? I mean, how does Pookie end up with four goals? Like what, what in your mind did you see from that result in those couple days you had of training even before you went into that game? Um. We, we we did move the midfield players around a little bit and I did think that helped them keep the ball. That that was like one that I would say, yeah, that was by design. The other thing that I think happened, we scored um, for, for the first 20 minutes really good and we, then we scored and then we conceded. And in my mind, I was thinking, this might not be a bad thing because if we're coming 1-0 after you know having the majority of the play, anything in the second half that goes against us, we might, we might crumble a little bit and, you know, cause that's happened in the past. So I was thinking when it went to one, one, I was going to still be really positive with the players. Then they got to two, one. And then I was like ultra positive and saying credit to you. You didn't deserve to be behind blah, blah, blah. And, and then in the second half, Dane made a couple of great saves, um, which he's done all season. So that's not a tweak. That's a, that's a normal for him. Um, but we managed to get the third goal and then it became situational as in the environment. LA Galaxy knew probably at that point nothing really much left to play from when we got to the five. So it became easier for us in that last sort of moments of the game, the 20 minutes, because we were we were playing against an opponent who had suffered a huge, huge uh, hit to them that this probably game is going to take us out of the playoffs. So we were able to build on that confidence. But to your point, you know, when you were talking about whether it was one one nothing you were going to go in or one one, and then when you go up two one, I mean, th there is, and you you know, as a player and as a coach, like there is sometimes a moment of feeling of like a here we go again, or even if you're up, you know, you go back to the Galaxy game on the road. I know that's on the road, not at home, but Minnesota hasn't actually you know been real super dominant at Allianz. Like, even did does it did it feel like a three? one lead wasn't safe or did it just feel like this team had a different mentality, a different 
perspective or, you know, how, how was this team able to lock that down, see it through and tack on additional goals? I, I think it, it did feel a little bit different. And like I said, I think the opposition had a little bit of part to play in that. And I would also say the players that came onto the field, like drove us over even further. You know, when we brought Fragger and, and, and Izzy on, they, they, they moved, to, moved it a little bit further forward. Um, so it, it seemed as if everybody wanted a piece of the action because it was going so well. And it, and we then weren't thinking about what's gone off in the past. It was more about what the opportunity was for us to, to take the game to, to them even more. So then when you look ahead to Sporting Kansas City Decision Day, I know you've got a whole week plus until that game takes place on the 21st. What do you see from the Sporting Kansas City side? What do you look to accomplish in this you know, week plus of training? I know you guys are going to have a few more days off with the international break, which, you know, obviously I'm sure is much needed and welcome uh, mentally and, and physically for these guys. But what do you see from that Sporting Kansas City game coming up? And obviously, what do you have, six guys that are gone? So you hope that they come back in, in, a, in a good shape and a good mind frame and, and with the travel and whatnot? Yeah, it's, we're going to have to wait, obviously, till the end to to make absolute final decisions. But in speaking with the staff, you know, and, and understanding the way the opposition play with, you know, the, they want to dominate the midfield and then they also want to create, you know, opportunities in wide areas, two versus ones. We we need to start dropping information into the players right, right now. So we'll feed some information into little units in the team and, you know, and, and I've got to let them know what I'm thinking of doing. Um, but without, you know, fully telling them and engaging it because I've still got to wait for everybody to come back. But there will be some messages that's taken to them in the next uh, today and then the next couple of days. Then they'll have a weekend where they can be with the family and, and and rest, and then we'll get everybody back. I think the first day back for everybody is next Thursday, which is not ideal, but we'll we'll go with it. I was just going to say that. That doesn't feel like it's a whole lot of time then because um, you hit the road. I'm guessing you go on Friday with, for a Saturday game with it just being a Midwest team. But when you look at this team and this roster and not knowing what all the contracts and the movement and whatnot looks like, if you had to sort of summarize, you know, your time here at Minnesota United, the current situation and where you guys sit and maybe looking ahead to 2024, just big picture, what do you think the the ceiling is or what do you think the you know, the the mindset would be for this group going forward? They've got a, and it's like every, you know, professional player. First off, they, they, they sign for a team and play for that team and they want to win the championship with that team. But then there's also the individual that's in that team and the individual have got, have got things to play for. Like you said, they've got their own personal contract situation to play for. They've got, if it doesn't work out here, they've got to try and impress and get somewhere else. And every moment matters. And that's whether they're in training or on the game because, you know, you can't take one play off because that might affect you from doing something else. Um, so in terms of the mindset and the bigger picture, we'll, we'll look to look at it really short term and say that it's, it's one game at a time. And if everything goes our way and we make it through, we'll have the exact same mindset for the next one and make everybody fully feel valued in this group for such a short period of time. And if we get to the end, who knows what might it might be. And then everybody will have their own personal situation that they need to manage. We all know that if you get into the postseason, anything can happen. I and mean, we've all seen it. We've all seen it turn on its head and this whole like playing wildcard game and best of three. And yeah, you know, it's just, it's just a lot going on this, this year with the postseason. So it should be interesting. Anybody who gets in, it's, it's a crapshoot from there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't want to be outside looking in. That's the, the, the big thing, the, the message that we need to, to get to the players. They don't want to be them players at the end of the season who look at everybody who got in and go, I can't believe they got in. <laughs> oh, yes. know, yeah. everybody's going to be saying that and you know you need to be the ones that are on the other side of the line that is kind of true I mean that is sort of the nature of this league in the sense that like you know you could beat someone 5-1 and then they come and beat you 5-1 and then yeah. at the end of the day how does it all shake out you know it's that I mean this league is built for parity in that yeah. in that way I mean that was that was very intentional um I think from the powers that be I just want to ask you one last thing sort of about your career specifically you've been in this game for a long time what makes you 
what makes you stay in it? What makes you love it so much? Why, why, uh, why keep coming back in every different way, shape or form? I mean, it's a grind. It's a long, those are long days, long nights, a lot of travel. Yeah. And, and I enjoy doing, doing what I'm doing. So I think when you can get something that you enjoy doing, it doesn't seem as long. It doesn't seem as hard. And it's, you know, something that, that is always challenging you, as you know, you know, the game itself challenges you, but no, it's, it's exciting. And we're, um, we're pleased that we've we've got a chance in the last game and this is why you keep doing it is because there's a big big game next weekend and being being part of that what what could be the future could be uh is is more exciting than looking backwards and going oh I, I wish I hadn't done that yeah I appreciate that because I do think um yeah when you can do something that you love and then you get paid for it on top of it that's like a that's like a real bonus, you know? So I, I appreciate you taking the time today. I know you got a lot of work to do and um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the decision day. It's going to be crazy. I got the, I got the Charlotte Miami game, but that noise is, Charlotte got a, got a chance. Charlotte's got a chance, but they were like, if Miami has a chance, we're pulling you off the game. I'm like, Oh, great. Thank you. You don't need to say that. <laughs> good, good to know where. Good to know where we stand. But I yeah. don't know. I mean, maybe Messi will play. They're out of the playoffs, and it's on turf. So I mean, who yeah. knows? You know, he's coming back from international duty. But yeah, I mean, who knows? I'm just excited for decision day. I think it's going to be crazy. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys end up doing with Kansas City because I know that's always a, a a game to watch. And um, so thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it, and good luck uh, in the last regular season game of this season. Thanks, Andrew. I'll see you again. All right, sounds good. Thanks, yeah. Sean. Appreciate Cheers. it. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, coming up next, segment number two with Cameron Knowles. Stay tuned, everybody. Looking for a way to get closer to your club? For just $25, Loons fans can join the Preserve, Minnesota United's official season ticket wait list. Waiting usually isn't fun, but this wait list comes with benefits. Being a member of the Preserve gives you early access to MNUFC single game tickets, partial season plans, and group tickets, as well as special pre-sales for other marquee events that come to Allianz Field. Visit MNUFC.com slash preserve to join. All right, everybody, welcome back to segment number two. I am joined by the head coach of MNUFC2, Cameron Knowles, who uh, took a break in his schedule, his multitasking, super busy dual role schedule to have a chat with us. And we're going to wrap up Minnesota United, MNUFC2, but we're also going to talk a little bit about what this offseason looks like and, and going forward even to the decision day match with Sporting Kansas City as he's jumped in with the first team as well. So thank you, Cameron, for taking the time to uh, join me here today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Um, I wanted to start off quickly because I we always and you and I have chatted before and I've I've talked about your girls and your family and uh, when I used to be in the broadcast booth and always seeing the girls hop up and say hi to you before the games got underway. But how is the family? How's everybody doing? We're like in full swing mid school year. How's everybody doing? They're great. I mean, they love school. Um, they're really excited. My oldest has really got into swimming um, the last sort of couple months, so that's that's been really exciting. Oddly enough, it's. I think the last time we spoke was one of my daughter's birthdays. It was. It was. It was today, today is now my birthday, so they've been pretty jazzed about oh that. Oh my gosh! Well, happy so, birthday! Yeah, thank if you. To not put that in the rundown. I know. I, see, I, I mean, they got to get on. One job to do, you know. Right, uh, right. Well, that's. Uh, so wait, I want to. I want to jump back real quick. So, how old are your girls? Like, what grades are they in? So I have a fourth grader, I have a first grader, and then I have one that's in daycare. Okay, so the fourth grader is the one that's all up in swimming. Yeah, she's all about it right now. And uh, both of them actually had their like little fundraiser at school where they do the, you know, how many laps they can do. And um, so got to see them do that yesterday, which is fun. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're great. You know, all all action all the time. Um, but hopefully through the offseason, get to get to see them a little more. Yeah, I know. It's always tricky because we talk about offseason and, and we'll talk about Minnesota United or MNUFC too as well. But when you look at off season, it's like, you feel like you have this really long time, but the second you start throwing in holidays in the mix, and then you're trying to, you know, see other family and then trying to line it up with school breaks. And then you've got the combine and college, you know, like it's, 
you know, we're, we work in the world of sports, so it's really never ending, even though it's technically an off season. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, and you know, our kids are maybe young enough that, that pulling them out of school, if you have to, isn't maybe as, you know, significant, but you still obviously feel bad and, but trying to find the time is tough. You know, it never really stops. We go straight from our season into looking then recruiting for next season, looking at the college season. And then before we know it, the second week of January will be here and we'll be training again. I should probably ask about your better half. I mean, we talk about the kids, but um, how's your wife holding up? How's that? You know, she's managing a lot of things, you know, multitasking, um, I'm sure, running the kids everywhere, doing all that jazz. Yeah, I mean, she's fantastic. You know, she's every, you know, unflappable. Like, it's just <laughs> that the schedule changes at the last minute. Things get decided at the last minute because you're waiting to see if you're in the playoffs or out of the playoffs and, and all that sort of stuff. And um yeah, I mean, her support is unwavering and the way that she is with the girls is just unbelievable. So I'm fortunate that um, I, I get that support from home, from my girls and, and from my wife. Well, and I was just thinking about um, when you talked about pulling the kids out of school, I'm a true believer too about, you know, experiences like Trump everything. So at these young ages, you're absolutely right. Like if you got to pull them out of school to take a, a, a vacation or like a day here, it's like a beautiful day and you have a day off and like you guys can go do something. Like I always feel like those are the things that they're going to remember. No offense to, you know, multiplication and whatever else they're learning. I just feel like those things are so important. Yeah. I mean, I think they'll get there with everything else. You know, it's just, uh, for me, it's all about balance, you know, just trying to balance everything out. Yeah. I had someone tell me once, I'm like, you, you will never find a work life balance. Like it won't be 50, 50 at one time, but there may be a moment where you lean into work one day more or one part of your life more and then family, but at the end of your life, you know, you hope it all balances out. But on a daily basis, it's probably not going to be 50-50. Yeah. Oh, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about Minnesota United and MNUFC, too. Disappointing. You and I were just talking about it before uh, we came on and started recording. But how the season ended. But I know when we talked to you early in the season and midseason, you were excited about year number two. The progress you guys had made because year one was just everything was so new getting the system in place. And, and this isn't just on the field. This is overall, you know, what your team was going to look like, what like the, the facilities, the training, the schedule. Um, what, what did you see in year number two, as you were super excited about it going into it and felt like you've made a ton of strides, but then not necessarily ending the way you had hoped. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we made a lot of progress. Um, obviously disappointed not to make the playoffs, especially when we put ourselves in a really good chance to do so with the, you know, coming down to the last game of the season, we knew if any result would get us in. Um, we just couldn't lose. Um, and even then, if we did, there was still a chance that we might get in based on other results. And, you know, we we carried our destiny into our, in our own hands up until the final week of the season. And going to Colorado against, you know, by far and away the best team was always going to be a tough task. But, man, the players had so much belief. We had so much belief in them. Uh, it was just unfortunate that it just just didn't play out for us. But... I think when we sit down, we reflect on the season as a whole, you know, it's, it's largely successful. We got, um, you know, a younger group really on the field for most of the time. We were a little more self-reliant on some of the signed second team players. Um, you know, we were able to give meaningful minutes to some of the younger first team players, Devin Padelford, Fred Emmings, these guys getting, you know, significant contributions. And, you know, we started the year and we thought, you know, we lost our leading chance creator and goal scorer who's going to step up to the plate. And we saw a number of guys um, step up uh, in, in key roles in chance creation, chance scoring. I think we had 14 different guys score um, might've had like eight different Academy players play actual minutes for us. Whereas last year, you know, that was those opportunities were few and far between. And you look towards the end of the season, we you know had a 16 year old that played, you know, five games, I think, for us. Another another young player in cage that, you know, gets two goals and two assists in, uh, I think, maybe five starts, 11 appearances, something like that. So we got meaningful contributions from from younger players. And I thought the group we had as a whole did did really well for the, the bulk of the year. That's such an important point, I feel like, because we talk about this youth development and even Sean McCauley was just talking about it in the previous segment about the importance of bringing the sort of the youth along as, as a whole for this league, not just with Minnesota United and sort of bridging that gap and making sure that each club continues to sort of push that envelope. When you talk about these young players getting meaningful minutes, 
What do you think that does for the individual player? What does that do for other players that see him doing that and gives them this feeling that that could be them at some point as they continue on this pathway in this journey? Yeah. I mean, listen, it gives everyone belief, you know, and it, it, it validates, you know, what you're doing from the top down. It validates what you're doing in the youth development space. Um, it lights a fire, you know, in terms of the ambition of the players that are in the academy. They see one of their own guys that can go in and, and can handle themselves at that level. And I think that should give all of them an excitement and a belief. And, you know, for us too, it gave us a great atmosphere because we had, you know, the last couple of games, you know, the academy players and the academy teams out watching and they're excited. They're excited to see their guy. They want to see him score. They want to see him get an assist. They want to see him beat someone, make a tackle. And so that added just like a tremendous atmosphere to the games, but also, you know, more of that sense of of club that we're all, you know, under this one umbrella um, and all trying to do the same thing. So I think the more opportunities we can provide for those guys and, you know, that that making sure that when someone is ready and someone's earned a chance that that they get it. When you say that, it's it's interesting that you say that about the atmosphere and the environment, because I have this conversation all the time with club teams in Minnesota, whether it's the one my daughter plays for or some of my nieces and nephews, they're always like talking about Minnesota United. And I'm always like, you got to go to Minnesota. You got to go to MNUFC two games and you need to go to the Academy games. Yeah. I said this to Amos the other day and, and Justin Ferguson, when he was on, I said, I, you, people don't understand that they can, they need to go and find these schedules and watch those games because that is like the next level for so many of these youth players. If they want to see something that's closer. Yes. Everybody wants to be a pro, but the percentage of players that's actually going to do that is relatively small, but it's just great soccer to watch in such an incredible atmosphere. And when you see these guys that are 16 years old, um, participating with MNUFC too. I just feel like you can't beat that. Like, I don't know. I don't know why, how, how, how do we get that word out there that more people yeah, come I, games? I don't know, but I agree with you. And then it's just, it really is. I mean, it, it's just so cool to see, you know, you sit there and like Jeremy and I, and, and the other stuff, we sit there and talk about it. Like imagine getting that opportunity when you were, you know, 16 years old or 17 years old, that you're, you have this opportunity to play a professional game. Like it's, it's a really incredible opportunity and one that's been earned, you know, and I think that was the big part of this year is let's let's make the team strong enough that you really have to earn those minutes. You have to earn those opportunities and you have to earn the trust of your teammates and everyone else. And those young players have done that, you know, and shown that they can they can make that jump, um, which is, you know, just the next logical step in their development, which is great. When you've been around academy players for a long time, whether it was at your time at Portland and then when coming over here with Minnesota United, like when you see how far academies have come and now Portland has had a tremendous academy for some time. There are some clubs that have have a history of developing and having academies, whereas Minnesota United is newer in that. But where do you see the biggest strides being made and sort of that um, uniqueness that's maybe to this club that you didn't see other places? Well, I think, you know, when you look at it overall, the investment in, in academies at an MLS level and, and and other teams too, I mean, you can't discredit the country's too big to say that only MLS teams are developing players. I mean, there's you've got a number of unaffiliated teams and USL teams that are running their academies. What is happening in the youth space is incredible, um, especially coming from, you know, New Zealand, where I knew what I grew up with. Like when I look at even just here at the NSC, how many fields they've got and the development they've put into the new fields, um and you 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 have that everywhere in the country you know you have these massive um clubs with facilities and and really good coaching and you know i think that has been something that's really changed i think the the level of coaching has got better the um competition has got better the the recruitment you know of finding players that are maybe outside markets um or players that haven't been seen before, you know, just getting eyes on younger players that are in your territory that you might not have seen before. All of that's getting better from every club. And, you know, I think we we have to continue to invest in, you know, our young players. And and it one, it connects you to the community more because you're you're out and you're doing events with younger groups of players. And and like I said before, you're giving those guys belief and um something to really strive for. And I think that there's never been when you look at the the whole pyramid of of soccer here in the u.s i don't think there's ever been a time where it's healthier and that there's more opportunity you know you mls mls next pro usl championship league one league two um on the women's side you know you look at what's happening nwsl you know 
20,000 people going to watch games and you have, you know, the Aurora here that, I mean, we went to one of those games, my family this year, I was blown away one by the quality, but two by like the, just the game day atmosphere. It was incredible. Um, and so there's so many people doing so much fantastic work at all levels of the game that I think being a young player and coming up through any system, whether it's an MLS Academy or just being involved in competitive soccer is a really exciting time. What was something that you were maybe most proud of in year number two for this this team in your time with MUFC too? Whether it's an individual, mo- not individual meaning an individual person, but it's a specific moment in a game or just something that as you were sort of reflecting, something that you were most proud of with year number two. You know, I was, re- I was really proud of the way that our group finished the season because, you know, we started really strong. Um you know, we had three wins on the road to start the year. We we're flying. Guys were really happy and excited. And, you know, it's easy. It's easy when when you have those results. And then we went through a really tough stretch. You know, we were conceding a lot of goals. It seemed like everything that could go wrong for us would go wrong. You know, we're conceding three in one game. And then we're up 3-1 and we tie 4-4. And, um, you know, there was a spell of, I think it was eight games. We conceded 27 goals. Um, and, and then the guys got got back going, you know, and it would be easy at that point with however many games to go in the season to say, oh, well, it's not really, we don't have much of a chance, you know, and they they really dug in. They really raised the standards for each other, um, you know, and held each other accountable and said, you know, they want more out of the season. And I think looking at those last four games of the season, I was really, really pleased with our group because we looked at that like, hey, these are these are really four playoff games for us. We have to get points in all of these. Um, we're good enough against all these teams, even though they're all above us in the table. Let's let's show what we can do. And the way that the players approached those last few games, the way that they were, their spirit, their competitiveness, even going down and then coming back in games uh, to get results they needed, getting the extra point, you know, in the shootouts um, that really gave us a chance going into that last game of the year. And even going into the last game of the year, you know, that game number four that we needed a point, a uh, point would have got us in you know, we, we went out to play and we went out to win and, you know, to, to be up two one against the best team in the league um, with 15 odd minutes to go, you know, they, they played really well. They were brave and confident and I was, I was really pleased for them. When you've talked a lot about some of the young players and some of the Academy players earning minutes, and then even some of the MNUFC two guys just taking their opportunities, but looking at some of the maybe more veteran guys on this team and guys that have spent quality, you know, a decent amount of time with the first team, like a Fred Emmings, Emmanuel Eway, or Devin Pedelford, when they've come back and spent meaningful minutes with you guys or have spent meaningful minutes with MNUFC too, what do they bring to the group? How important is it to have leadership from both sides? As you talk about young guys stepping up, but also these guys that have spent good minutes with first team coming in and playing with you as well. Yeah, I think it's great. It's really important, um, one, for our team, because, you know, the team needs leadership. The team is typically young, uh, but also for those players, because they don't have that role, you know, with the first team. They're not a week in, week out contributor. They're not necessarily a leader on that group. And so they get to develop that skill set, too. They get to show that they have that quality um, and 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 they really get to be someone that people look to to make the game, whereas they might have come from being, you know, the 17th, 18th, 19th or whatever guy on on a match day roster um, that might not get into a game. Here they have a, a big role to play and it's not easy. You know, you especially those guys that are on the bench for the first team, you know, they're in training with the first team. They may travel. They sit on the bench. They don't play a game. They've got the emotion of that game, win or lose, to, to deal with. And the next day they have to come in having not really trained, you know, for the last couple of days and are expected to perform and be one of the better performers. And so I think those guys really held themselves to a high standard this year and um, played a really important role. You know, I think overall we might've seen less first team players play with us, but the consistency of the ones we had was really good. And it helped, um, you know, help those guys helped our group tremendously. Looking ahead, excuse me, to next season. And you, you and I were talking before we came on, just sort of like all of a sudden the the season ends and you have to sort of turn the page and mindset wise, it's a long off season, but you have some roster decisions that have to be made quickly. Some players that maybe have to stick around and contribute to first team, not getting into specifics on players, but what are, what does the timeline look like for you over this off season? What does that look like for you? Is there's really no, no stopping. 
Yeah, I mean, it's tough because we want to keep these guys going. We want to continue their individual development. Um, and and even though we don't have the games to do so, you know, this this week, you know, international break for the first team. So this guy's missing. That gives an opportunity for some of our guys to help with the numbers in a first team training session. And we've included some of the younger players back with the 19s as well. Um, and it's just trying to figure out what works. You know, some guys might need more individual physical development. This is a great time we can do it. Might be something technical that we can do and, and spend time with them in, in a, you know, individual or small group setting that that helps. But just trying to close that gap between now and the next competitive game. Um, but, you know, it, like you say, preseason will come around quick, but we're trying our best to just keep those guys moving. Um, and it's tough because, you know, we'll, we'll end up saying bye to some guys that were really important for us that that helped us one get this thing off the ground the first year and two show really we can raise the bar on this we can we can have younger players we can still be competitive we can you know mix it with the best teams in this league and so that's a really difficult situation too uh where we have to you know move on and and see see some guys leave that were really really critical to the uh development of this this program how much do you lean on the the college players or, you know, the combine or I think it's in Phoenix this year as MLS yeah. just came out with their like ginormous offseason schedule with roster decisions and whatnot. How much do you still lean on that and you look to that knowing that you have these academy players and young players that are coming through and we, clearly the draft, I think, is still of, of importance in, in this league. But how much do you lean on that? Yeah, listen, the draft has importance. I think you've seen the the composition of college soccer change a little bit with, you know, homegrown players and uh, some some of the better domestic players maybe not going to college or not going for as long. Um, you know, you probably see more foreign international players that are, that are coming into the college system and that are then included in uh, getting drafted and whatnot. Um, but it's still a pathway, you know, it's always going to be. It's a very important, you see, Every year there's players that get drafted that then go on and have meaningful contributions for their clubs. Um, you know, us as a club have been successful with that in the past too, you know, with guys that have played big roles for the first team. So that's certainly a part of it. Um, both the combine, the draft, uh, undrafted players, you know, you've got what over 200 division one programs and then all the way down. So there's a lot of players out there. Uh, it's really hard to get a, you know, a look at all of them, obviously, but you have to just, keep an open mind. Um, Emmanuel Leeway came out of an open tryout, you know, and, and was playing at St. Cloud. So, you know, even speaking to their players in, in their preseason and just saying, listen, you never know um, when someone's going to see you or when your opportunity is going to come. So we try to have an open mind. We try not to block uh, pathways of younger players that we think are promising. And I think that's an important um, consideration as we start to build the team into next year. You know, how much of a role do we think some of these younger players are ready to play for next year? What are the next group that are coming in that are going to play a more limited role? And how do we supplement that with, you know, signing second team players? Um, and and what can we sort of try and predict we might get from the first team, which is, you know, trying to balance all of that to put a roster together. Well, and we talk about, you, you mentioned recruitment of players and, and scouting and trying to see everybody, you know, 200 division one schools and whatnot across the United States. But how important is it to get, players from Minnesota to be a part of what Minnesota United is doing. How much is it important to have that sort of local aspect starting at the academies and through to the, the twos? Yeah, I think it's essential. I mean, we, we always have to have an element of that. It's um, it's always just going to mean a little bit more to those guys, you know, and, you know, we're fortunate to have, have a few guys with local ties this year. And I think we have to continue to look at, giving local players an opportunity, whether that's in our academy and then through our academy into our second team, or whether that's players that are, you know, out in college that that are doing well. Um, you know, guys that come back and, and play through the summer here in Minnesota, trying to make sure that we have a pathway for those guys, because I do think it 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 does mean a little bit more. There's a lot of guys that want to play for this club at the second team level and get themselves onto the first team. And um, you can see how much it means in training every day and in the games. And lastly, what are your uh, off-season plans, non-soccer related? You going back home? You going to news? I mean, I know you maybe don't have like the vacation booked yet or anything. Yeah. Like, maybe your wife does. I don't know, but I know. No, no it's trying to trying to figure out. Sometimes it's nice to do nothing. I mean, that's a, that's a great vibe too. Sometimes. What are your off-season plans? Anything fun? And are you going back home to New Zealand or anything? 
I will not go back home to New Zealand, unfortunately. Uh, we went back last November, so that'll maybe the following year we'll try and go back. Um, we will try and get away for some sort of vacation that is unplanned as of yet. And if my wife sees this, she's probably thinking, yeah. Plan <laughs> yeah. It. Um, That's the other but, thing. You have to plan it. Yeah. The last, last thing she wants to do is then have to plan that because I've been there and done that. I've been in that scenario before. Oh, no. I mean, we'll get there. It's just trying to figure out what the timeline of the offseason looks like, the combine, um, travel requirements, all of that. But, you know, we we made a decision as a family that uh, over Christmas, and we used to travel all the time over Christmas, whether it was to New Zealand, to see my wife's family. Um, and so as the kids got a little bit older, we decided, you know, we want to stay. So there is a, a, a large part of us that will just stay here, you know, be at home and have our own traditions through the holidays and things like that. And hopefully we'll we'll get a chance to get away before that um but it's it's nice it's nice to just spend the time and spend the time with the kids and you know be inside and and play silly games and you know get to do things that we don't normally get to do throughout the year and everything just slows down a little bit for everyone yeah that's always the challenge right when you travel and have the schedule that you have it's like you want to get away and feel like you're away and on a break but at the same time it's nice to just be home and like do normal normal things that you yeah. don't always get to do as a family. And now your next couple of weeks has kind of been thrown up, up in turmoil too, because now you're with the first team and have different, you know, things that you're, that you're contributing to them as well, whether it's at training or I'm sure you're heading off to Kansas city for decision day as well. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly throws a spanner in the works. Um, but you know, anything I can do to help, help those guys, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for them. Well, awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to seeing kind of the moves and the movement and whatnot from the offseason, the roster decisions coming up and, and what Minnesota United MNUFC 2 looks like in year number three, because I know it'll continue to grow in, in the academies as well. It's been fun to talk to the twos players and some of the academy players and the coaches this year on the podcast, because it's not something we've always done in the past. And I think it's I think it's great, too, for other people to get that perspective if people are listening to it, whether it's other younger people or whether it's um, other adults because they might just not get that insight. Um, so hopefully they get out to a game next year and, and keep contributing to that tremendous atmosphere you guys have. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I mean, the more people, the merrier, and there's such a big community up here in Blaine of, you know, soccer families and young kids that, that uh, are trying to pursue that dream. So if we can expose them to that a little bit, it'd be great. Awesome. Thanks, Cam. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week and enjoy that off season. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Stay tuned. Another episode coming your way next week of Sound of the Loons.